wandering into the night Wanting a place to hide this weary soul This bag of bones And I try with all my mind But I just came with the fight I'm slowly drifting A bag of And just when I ran out of road, I met a man I didn't know, and he told me that I was not alone. To pick me up, turn me around, place my feet on solid ground. I thank the master, I thank the savior, because you heal my heart, you change my day. Forever free, I'm not the same. I thank the master, I thank the savior, I thank God. Oh, I cannot deny what I've seen. Got no choice but to believe my doubts are burning. I can't see. So, so long with my old friends Burden and bitterness You can't just keep it moving No, you ain't welcome here Now till I walk the streets of gold I'll sing how you saved my soul This wayward son has found his way back I thank the Savior because you heal my heart, you change my name, forever free. I'm not the same. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, I thank God.
like to invite our prayer team down to the front if you have a need or a prayer we would love to connect with you and pray with you this morning
lift our voices, let's lift our hands. And I will give. Come on, sing it out. Let's give him all our worship right now. I praise the name of Jesus. I bless the one who is high and lifted up, who is holy and awesome and righteous and mighty and exalted. Father, be praised in this place from hearts that overflow with gratitude for all that you have done for us, Lord. We give you honor and praise and thanks, Lord Jesus. You're good. You're good. You're good. Come on, don't grow weary. Press in. Press into his presence. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Hallelujah. Receive this worship this morning, God. We honor you, God. Lord, thank you for your presence that is among us, that is healing us and touching us and meeting our needs. We give you glory and honor and thanks for you are good and your love endures forever, forever, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As we continue to worship the Lord, we're going to transition now to a time of communion. This was available as you came in. If by chance you didn't get it, if you just li slip up, lift up a hand, our ushers are ready to serve you to make sure that you have received communion. We call this an open communion, meaning that you don't need to be a member of our church to participate in communion. You just need to be a member of the family of God. That's very important. The Bible instructs us on that. And so speaking of that, we're going to take just a moment right now. If you have your communion and you're ready, if you just bow your heart, bow your head before the Lord. And just begin to pray and seek the Lord. Uh, your prayer might sound something like mine, Lord, if there be sin in my life, Lord, if I have displeased you, if this week, God, I have missed it in some regard or in some way, Father, would you reveal that to me? Would you forgive me of that sin? Would you help me, God? Your word says that you're faithful, you're just to cleanse us from unrighteousness, so would you purify my heart? I want to come before you with clean hands and a pure heart this morning as we come to your table, as we reverence this awesome moment, Lord. Thank you that we can share this communion time as a family, remembering what you have done for us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it and he broke it into pieces and he said, this is my body which was given for you. Do this to remember me. And if you peel that top layer back, we can take out that piece of bread and let's give the Lord thanks for his body. Jesus, thank you for coming from heaven to earth for us. 
Come on, join me in giving him thanks. Thank you for offering your body as a sacrifice on the cross for my sins. Thank you for loving me and loving us enough that you were willing to suffer and die in our place so that we could be restored to right standing with the Father. Thank you, God, that you are present with us in this moment and you're reminding us of how good and loving and kind and faithful you are today. We remember you. We remember what you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you receive this together all across this house? The Bible goes on to tell us that in the same way he took the cup after supper and he said this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it, for every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And that last line says we're announcing the Lord's death. And when we announce the Lord's death, we're announcing one word, victory. Normally, death doesn't mean victory, but in the case of Jesus, his death meant our victory. It's his victory over sin and sickness and disease and punishment and distance and separation from God. But because he died, we get to experience the victory through Jesus Christ who loved us. The Bible says that it's his blood that takes our sins, which were like scarlet, and makes them white as snow. The Bible tells us that it's his blood that heals our body, that by his stripes we are healed. The Bible tells us that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. And so the the strongholds, the temptations, the addictions, the chains that held us bound, they are broken in Jesus' name because of his blood, which was sacrificed for us. This morning, if you would peel that top layer back and if you would begin to just give him praise with me, Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood, which has never lost its power, which restores, redeems, it saves. It brings health and wholeness and healing into our body. Your blood, which is eternal and it is freely given to all who ask of you. We thank you for the precious blood of the lamb. We glorify you in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you receive that together? And as you set that down, would you just begin once again, whether it be to lift your hands or lift your voice, but would you thank him for the victory that we have in him? We praise you as we remember you this morning, as we announce your death, your victory, which meant our salvation, as we remember and recognize what you have done for us. We give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor today. You're probably near somebody you know or love. And if you would, would you just make a point of contact with them this morning, whether it be taking them by the hand or putting an arm on their shoulder. And would you just begin to pray over them, Lord, in Jesus' name, as we're together as your family, your body of believers, we speak health and wholeness and life and favor and anointing. Lord, we thank you that he who is in us is is greater than he who is in the world. We thank you that the Bible declares that no weapon formed against us will prosper. That the Bible tells us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, in this morning and in this moment that you are with us, that you are for us, that you are causing us to prosper and to triumph. And we give you praise. Come on, just speak blessing over those people nearby you. Lord, we bless you. We thank you. Your goodness, your mercy, your love endures forever.
As we continue in this moment of unity and really focusing our attention on God, one of the things we look to do here at Spirit Church is say the Lord's Prayer because it helps us once again come together as a church body, but give all of our attention and glory to Him. So would you join me in saying the Lord's Prayer this morning? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. If you believe that today, can we give God one more shout of praise this morning? Hallelujah. You are truly worthy of it all, God. It's all by your might, Jesus. Man, what an honor it is to be in the presence of the Lord this morning. Amen. Amen. But it's also an honor to be able to come up here and serve you today. But you have some really amazing people around you. So could you turn to your neighbor, give them a fist bump, and ask them what their plans for lunch are and if you can join them today? I'm really hoping something good is in store. And then we got a quick announcement video. Hey Spirit Church family, Pastor Daniel here, and we are so happy that you could join us today. Whether you're joining us here in person or joining us online, we consider you a part of our family and we're so excited to connect with you today. If you're here in person, you can go ahead and scan this QR code to fill out your guest or connect card today. And if you're joining us online, you can go ahead and go to spirit.church connect or spirit.church guest to fill your card out. If you're new here at Spirit Church, welcome. Pastor Jason and Robin would love to meet with you in the Welcome Center after this experience. They just want to meet your family, give you a gift, and say thanks for being our guest today. Also, if you're a guest, please feel no pressure to give. Let this service be our gift to you. But if you're here and you want to give, here are three ways that you can. You can use a giving envelope and drop in either giving kiosk in the commons area. You can give on our website at spirit.church give. Or you can use our Church Center app. And once again, thank you so much for your generous giving spirit, Church. Because of it, we're able to continue impacting the next generation here in our community. Now, i got a few announcements for you. Legacy Night is back this Friday, August 25th at 6 p.m. If you're 55 or older, man, do we have a special treat for you. Pastor Phil Taylor is going to be coming and bringing the word. And if that's not enough, we're going to pregame with some amazing cobbler and ice cream. You don't want to miss it. If you're new here, you're invited to our new people party this next Sunday following our 11 o'clock worship experience. You'll join us in the cafe to meet our staff, get to know a little bit more about our church, and also enjoy a free lunch on us. If you'd like to attend, please go online to our website at spirit.church slash sign up to register today. Spirit Church, you're the best. Now let's go ahead and let's grab our message notes and let's get ready for Jason to continue his series on worship.
morning. We're really glad that you're here this morning. I want you to do something a little bit uh, extraordinary or unordinary or not normal. Would you give it up for the 8 a.m. service that has already been to church this morning? So you know, you're giving it up. You don't even know why. You're just so great. You did it because I said, here's why. If they would have been in here, some of you would have been sitting in the commons this morning. So the 8 a.m. service is... Uh, is growing and it's helping us to make a need or to make room to, to reach one more. If you're here this morning and you feel a little bit crowded, there's plenty of room at 8 a.m. If you can get your husband or your wife or your kids up that early, we'd love to have you. There's a free breakfast available. Uh, and then we're just always, we're doing this to try to reach one more. I'm gonna invite you to go ahead and stand. I'm gonna dive right in this morning and get right to the word. We're standing in honor of God's word. We're looking at our In the Vault text. It's found in Psalm 103 verses one through five. This is the verse we're working on all month long. At the end of this month, so next week, we'll have quotation stations available where you can quote this verse after you've memorized it, and there'll be an incentive just to encourage you to continue in this good behavior of memorizing Scripture. Scripture's powerful, amen? Amen. So let's say this together on three. One, two, three. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise His holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sin. He heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? Thank you for your word. That is so powerful. Your word challenges us. Your word changes us. Your word makes us more like you. And this morning, as your word is proclaimed, would my voice not be the one that people hear? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you communicate to us uniquely and specifically exactly what you have for us to hear today? Would we truly hear from you in this moment, God? I thank you that we're going to be more like you as a result of this time we spent in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you as you're seated. Thank you again for being here. What a great crowd today. I'm going to begin this morning by asking you a series of very difficult questions and don't feel any responsibility or obligation to, a- to answer out loud. Just think about them for a moment. Have you ever been disappointed by God? Maybe he didn't answer your prayer or maybe he didn't do what you wanted him to do. Maybe he didn't do it when you wanted him to do it. Maybe you feel lonely or isolated or depressed. Perhaps your circumstances have made you feel let down or brokenhearted. Better yet, have you ever felt abandoned by God or confused by his ways? Maybe God doesn't make sense to you or his ways don't appear to be fair. And when we hear reports in our world of unspeakable tragedies, when we learn about people who have died too young or too unexpectedly, when we read about sexual abuse, especially against minors, or human trafficking that takes place, or incurable cancer that spreads, when we're reminded of the food insufficiencies and the inaccessibility of clean water in some parts of the earth, our first response is usually not to stop and worship God. On the contrary, these events usually cause us to question God and to doubt His ways. And when these things happen, our tendency is usually to pull away from God when instead we should be drawing near to Him in worship. You see, regardless of what we think God should or should not do, regardless of what God chooses to do or not to do, when we can and we cannot make sense of His plan or His ways, 
we know, we believe, and we trust that he's still God, that he's still good. We believe that his love endures forever. And it's in those tough moments, in those difficult times, in those vulnerable instances that God doesn't want us to push away from him. Instead, he's inviting us to trust him. Today, we're going to discuss how we can worship, because our series is about worship, but how can we worship God in difficult moments? We're going to explore four seasons that we all go through in our life. We're going to talk about those times when we feel alone, those times when we feel like we've been forgotten, the times when God doesn't seem to make sense, and the times when God seems unfair. Through each of these seasons, we're going to evaluate how we can still worship God in the midst of our most vulnerable moments. Now, before we start, as a reminder, worship is many things. We worship God by singing, by clapping, by lifting our hands, by reverencing his awesome presence, but we also worship him every day in the way we live our lives before him and before our culture. We worship by trusting him when times are good, but also when times are bad. And so this morning, we're going to look at four vignettes or four narratives from Scripture, and we're going to look at people who endured tough seasons, yet they chose to worship God. The first situation we're going to look at is how we can worship when you feel like you're alone. Again, don't answer the question, but has God ever seemed far away or distant from you, like you've been isolated or left to yourself? If you have your Bible, in 1 Kings chapter 19, we read about a prophet named Elisha. And Elisha experienced one of the greatest days of his life only to be followed up by one of the deepest, darkest moments of isolation a person could ever endure. You perhaps have heard Elijah's story before. He was in a duel, in a battle against the prophets of Baal. People were supposed to be worshiping God during that time, but instead they were worshiping a false god, the god of Baal. Elijah had had enough of it. He said, it's time to determine and to prove once and for all who the one true God is. And so he called for a showdown on Mount Carmel. Sounds tasty. And the prophets of Baal prepared their sacrifice, and all day long they called upon their God to answer and to consume the sacrifice. See, the, the deciding factor was the God who answers by fire is the true God. And in 1 Kings chapter 19, the Bible tells us that they screamed and they shouted and they cut themselves and they danced and they pleaded and they begged, but nothing happened. Elijah then prepared his sacrifice. In fact, he added water on top of a sacrifice, which is something you should never do if you want to fire. He then humbly bowed and prayed and said, Lord, would you please prove that you are the one true God? And in that moment, the Bible tells us that fire fell from heaven. It consumed not only the sacrifice, but it licked up all of the water that was surrounding it. What a powerful, extraordinary victory for the kingdom of God, for the people of righteousness, for Elijah himself. And and following that, the 450 prophets of Baal knew that they were in trouble, so they started trying to escape And Elijah instructed the people, chase after them, capture them, and kill them because they have been so contrary to God, so so in the face of God, so against his ways and his nature. Still in that very same day, in that very same moment, Elijah then asks for God to send rain. You see, the, the land was in the middle of a drought. It had been three years since there had been rain. Elijah asks for rain to fall from heaven, and God causes what the Bible describes as a terrific rainstorm to fall. 
this seems like an amazing moment for anyone. You've just dueled one versus 450 and you've won. You just called for rain to come on dry land and God has answered you. Yet in this moment, the king of the land was a man named Ahab and his wife was a woman named Jezebel. And Jezebel didn't just hate God, she hated the people of God and she wanted them all to be destroyed. So following these two epic victories, Jezebel sends a message to Elijah and she says, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I haven't killed you just as you have killed them. In response to this message, Elijah runs away and hides under a tree and his prayer to God is, I'm done, take my life. Take me away, I can't take it any longer. And God appears to him in that moment and says, Elijah, what is wrong with you? And in verse number 10, Elijah replies to the Lord, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. And I'm the only one left. He said, God, I'm all alone. There's nobody else. It's just me. It's, it, it's me. I'm all by myself. And not only am I all alone, but he closes by saying, and now they want to kill me too. He prays very honestly, very vulnerably. He admits how he feels alone. And God reveals himself to Elijah following this prayer in four distinct ways. The Bible says that first a windstorm comes and then an earthquake underneath his feet and then fire comes. But following those three actions, there's a still small voice. Some of your Bibles would translate it a gentle whisper from heaven. And God tells Elijah, I want you to go back to where you came from, go back the same way that you came. In other words, don't be afraid of the people who are wanting to kill you. Go back because there's still more for you to do. God tells him, anoint a new king because Ahab and Jezebel's days are done. Anoint a new prophet because your time is also completed and the new prophet that I'm going to raise up is going to have double the anointing on his life that you had on yours. And when we look at the Bible retrospectively, we see that Elisha actually did double the miracles that Elijah did God reminds Elijah in that moment though you think you're alone you're not alone in first Kings chapter 19 and verse 18 God finishes by saying these words yet I will preserve 7,000 others remember Elijah just said I'm the only one who's left it's just me God and God says no 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 I'm going to preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal and never kissed him and just like Elijah, we all go through moments in our lives when we feel alone, when we feel like everyone is against us. And in those moments, it's important to remember that the Jesus that we serve knows what it's like to feel alone. In his most vulnerable, in his most desperate moment near the end of his life, we find him alone in the garden. Look at Luke chapter 22, verses 44 through 46. Jesus is praying because he knows what's about to happen. He knows that he's going to be handed over to the authorities. He knows he's going to be beaten and punished. He knows he's going to be crucified on a cross. The Bible tells us he prayed more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. And at last he stood up and he again returned to his disciples. His disciples who have been with him all the way. His disciples who never left his side. His disciples who gave up their homes and their families and their possessions so that they could stick close to Jesus. And in his moment of desperation, he finds them asleep, exhausted from grief. Have you ever felt alone? Jesus knows what it's like to feel alone. Elijah felt alone in that moment. 
And he chose to worship God, but not in the way that you and I would think of worshiping God. We read from Elijah's story, and we find that Elijah's worship came in the form of one simple word, obedience. He worshiped the Lord by continuing to obey God, even when he felt alone and isolated. God told him to go back the way he came, to anoint a new king, to anoint a new prophet. And we read that Elijah did all of those things exactly as God directed him to. And because of that, he got the coolest chariot ride ever. The Bible says a chariot of fire came down and swept him up into the heavens. He never had to face the death that all of us will face, that God took him to heaven. Why? Because when he felt alone, he still chose to trust God and he still chose to obey God. We can worship when we feel alone, but we can secondly worship when we feel forgotten. Have you ever been there? Not just forgotten, but maybe you felt forsaken. That word forsaken means that you're not just alone, that you're deserted, that you're abandoned, that you're completely forgotten. If you have your Bible, I prefaced it last week that we would look at Job chapter 1 and chapter 2. That powerful book, 42 chapters, that narrative of Job's life. And the Bible tells us of Job, it's a, it's a story of a man of incredible wealth and reputation. In fact, the, the very first verses of the book say, There once was a man named Job, and he lived in the land of Uz, and he was a blameless man, a man of complete integrity. He feared God. He stayed away from evil. He had seven sons. He had three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and he also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. When you study the life of Job, you find out that Job did good. Job loved God. Job followed God's ways. But in the span of just one day's time, a group of raiders came down and killed his oxen, his donkeys, and his farmhands. Then he receives a report that fire has fallen from heaven and has burned up all of his sheep and all of his shepherds. Then he gets a report that another group of raiders stole his camels and killed his servants. Then the final report comes that his sons and daughters were eating together when a powerful windstorm swept up, causing the foundations of the house to be shaken and the roof to collapse upon them, and all ten of his children died in a single instant. In that moment, Job feels forgotten. Not just forgotten, he feels forsaken. Not just forsaken, he feels wrongly punished. What did I do? And when you and I have those same moments like Job did, when we feel forgotten and forsaken and abandoned, we have a God who knows exactly what that's like. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was hanging on the cross in Mark chapter 15, in verse 33, that at noon darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. And at 3 o'clock, Jesus cries out with a loud voice from the cross, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? You see, Jesus, he knows what it's like to feel abandoned and forgotten and forsaken. Job knew what it was like. But it's interesting and important that we study his response because the end of Job chapter 1 says that Job tore his robe in grief and he shaved his head. Those were symbols of both grief and of worship, of honor. He fell to the ground in worship and he said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I'll be naked when I return. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. When he, when he felt that he was forsaken, he made the choice to worship God when it didn't make sense. And we think that Job's story ends there, but we forget in the very next chapter, in chapter 2, 
we see that Satan once again comes to the Lord and wants to persecute Job more. Satan left God's presence and he struck Job with terrible boils from head to foot. So Job scraped his skin with a piece of broken pottery as he sat among the ashes. And his wife said to him, are you still trying to maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from God and never anything bad? So in all of this, Job said nothing wrong. What Job demonstrated and modeled for us was that even when we feel forsaken, even when we feel abandoned, that he's God of our good seasons and he's God of our bad seasons. He's God of our abundance and he's God of our absence. We can worship when we feel forgotten. Thirdly, we can worship when God doesn't make sense. I bet there's been a time in your life when God didn't make sense to you. When you asked a question, why did something happen or why didn't something else happen? Why did my prayer not get answered yet somebody else's prayer did get answered? Why didn't God show up when he should have? In John chapter 11, we read about Mary and Martha and Lazarus and Jesus didn't make sense to them with the way he responded in their moment of need. He had a very special relationship with this family. He had visited them before and Jesus receives word that Lazarus, his dear friend, was near death, yet Jesus seems unbothered by the news. He doesn't bother to get up. He doesn't bother to go. They're, they're, the doctors are telling them, call in your relatives and your family. The end is near, and Jesus stays put. He waits two days in the village or town where he is before he even starts to make the journey back to where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus are. That, that delay results on Jesus not even arriving to the city until Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. It's over, it's done, he's gone, and it didn't make sense. And Martha confesses that in John chapter 11 and verse number 20, she sees Jesus coming and it says she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house and Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here. Now, if she was a good Oklahoma woman, she would have said, you should have been here. Or where were you? Or why didn't you show up? You know, it's probably not the first time she has said those words because later we'll read that Mary comes out to greet Jesus and she says, Lord, if only you'd been here. If you would have been here, he'd still be alive. If you would have shown up, he wouldn't have died. You see, for them and their culture and their context, according to their religious laws, if Jesus truly was God, then he would have prevented physical death because that's what a good God does. He keeps you from dying. See, for them, as Jews, death was a sign that God had deserted them. The presence of death meant the absence of God in their mind. And for you and I, when we feel like God doesn't make sense, we serve a Jesus who knows what it's like when life doesn't seem to make sense. If we go back to that scene where he's in the garden and he's praying, knowing what is about to come, in Matthew 26 and verse 39, the Bible tells us he goes a little further to pray and he bows with his face to the ground and he prays these words, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. See, he was fully God, but he was fully man and the fully man part of him is struggling with making sense of what's about to happen to him. The fully God part understands it, but for the fully man part, this isn't right, deserve better, this shouldn't be happening. But the fully God part steps up and he says, yet I want your will to be done and not mine. See, Jesus, 
He knows what it's like for life to not make sense. Mary and Martha were experiencing it firsthand as their brother Lazarus was in the tomb. And how did they respond? How did they worship through this moment? Well, Martha worshiped by not giving up on her faith in Jesus. The Bible tells us that she chooses to believe even when he doesn't make sense. And that might be one of the most powerful forms of worship that we see ever in the Bible is when I don't understand God and when he doesn't make sense to me and when his ways are foreign, I still choose to trust and believe him. And verse 22 of John chapter 11, even though she says, you should have been here and if you would have shown up, he wouldn't have died, she responds by saying, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. The commentators and the theologians tell us that what she's really trying to say is, I still believe in you. I still trust you. I don't understand this. This isn't right and none of this makes sense. But you're still the Messiah and I'm gonna trust you. We can worship when, when God doesn't make sense. Finally, we can worship when life isn't fair. We've probably all had a time where we just said it's not fair. What I'm going through, what I'm experiencing, what I'm encountering, the hand that I have been dealt is not fair. Or maybe it's not even ours. Maybe it's somebody else's situation and we see them and we say, what they're enduring is not fair. They deserve better. I told you last week that we'd look at the book of Habakkuk today, those three chapters from the Old Testament. And the book of Habakkuk is a study of not fair. It's a godly, faithful man, a prophet, who's living in a time when most people are not godly and most people are not faithful. And as a result of the ungodliness and the result of the unfaithfulness, he's seeing death and destruction and harm all around him, and it doesn't make sense. And so Habakkuk writes very vulnerably, very transparently, very honestly to God, and he says this, How long, O Lord, must I call to you for help, but you do not listen? Violence is everywhere. I cry, but you do not come to save. Must I forever see these evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed, and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Doesn't seem fair to Habakkuk. He can't, he can't rationalize and understand what is happening and why he's having to go through it. And let me give you more background of what's taking place in Habakkuk's day. As I said, he's living devoutly before the Lord, but most other people were not. And as a result, the empire or nation of Babylon had become a world superpower. And God had allowed Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar to invade the land of Judah where God's people were living. They'd not only captured Jerusalem, they'd ransacked God's temple. And as a result of that, they took 10,000 Israelite, 10,000 Jewish people as their captives. Some of them you've heard of before, like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. And Habakkuk is watching this happen. He's watching his nation crumble. He's watching his city be destroyed. He's seeing God's temple being ransacked and burned to the ground. He sees a king, a, a good king, Zedekiah, try to lead a rebellion, but Nebuchadnezzar just incites his anger, and so he burns the temple to the ground and destroys the entire city. Habakkuk sees this punishment and this suffering, and he says, this is not fair. And you've probably had a situation in your life where you've seen the walls crumble around you and things be burned by fire. And you say, this is not fair. And in those moments, it's important that we remember that we have a Jesus who understands not fair. 
If we read about him in Isaiah 53, we see a, a prophecy about his life that he fulfilled and he, he emulates, he, he exemplifies not fair. It says he was despised and rejected. It's speaking of Jesus. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we didn't care. Yet it was our weaknesses that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought that his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Verse 5 says that he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, we've strayed away and we've left God's paths to follow our own ones. And the Lord laid on him the sins of us. Verse 7 goes on to say he was oppressed, he was treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he didn't open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away, and no one cared that he died without descendants. No one cared that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion, God says, of my people. Verse 9 finishes this thought of the not fair that Jesus experienced. He'd done no wrong. He had deceived no one, but he was buried like a criminal. See, when we encounter and when we endure and when we face not fair, Jesus understands not fair. He endured not fair for you and I. Habakkuk was living a life that seemed unfair. And I read the verse to you last week, but I want to repeat it for you this morning because here's Habakkuk's response when he feels like life is not fair. He says in verse 17 of Habakkuk chapter 3, even though the fig trees have no blossoms and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the olive crop fails and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet, it's a three-letter word, but man, it's powerful. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. When life isn't fair, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. When life isn't fair, I will be joyful in the God of my salvation, he writes. The sovereign Lord is my strength. So we can worship God when we feel alone. We can worship God when we feel forgotten. We can worship when God doesn't make sense. We can worship when life doesn't seem fair. And in 20 plus years of pastoral ministry and ministry in general, I've seen every one of these situations and scenarios lived out in the lives of people that I love and even in my own context in my own family. A great resource for me outside of the presence of God and the people of God has been a book by Dr. James Dobson called When God Doesn't Make Sense. And we tell people, just, just get saved and it'll all be okay. But there are times when God doesn't make sense. And I want to share Dr. Dobson's response for when we go through these situations that I just talked about. We'll put the quote on the screen. It's, it's two slides, so I'll read them both to you. He writes these words, My concern is that many believers apparently feel that God owes them smooth sailing or at least a full explanation and perhaps an apology for the hardships that they encounter. We must never forget that he, after all, is God. He is majestic and holy and sovereign. He is accountable to no one. He's not an errand boy who chases the assignments that we dole out. He's not a genie who pops out of the bottle to satisfy our whims. He is not our servant. We are his. And our reason for existence is to glorify 
and to honor him. Dr. Dobson goes on to write the very next paragraph, even so, sometimes he performs mighty miracles on our behalf. Sometimes he chooses to explain his action in our lives. Sometimes his presence is as real as if we had encountered him face to face. But other times, when nothing makes sense, when what we are going through is not fair, when we feel all alone in God's waiting room, he simply says, trust me. Trust me. Now take a deep breath. It's heavy. And it was heavier for the 8 o'clock service because it was earlier. Y'all are getting the benefit of extra caffeine and donut holes to kick in the sugar. We see in the Bible where it's possible, where it's done, where people worship God through vulnerability, through difficulty, through suffering, through, through hard times. But practically for you and I, although it's real in the Bible and we trust that it is, how can we worship God even in the midst of life's most challenging moments? You may have already encountered it. They may be yet to come. There might be more to come. But how do we still worship him when we feel alone and forsaken and forgotten, when he doesn't make sense and when life isn't fair? I want to leave you with just a few thoughts this morning for those times when we don't feel like worshiping. Here's the first one. The thought for when I don't feel like worshiping is that I can be honest with God. I can be honest with God. We read Habakkuk's writings. We just read it a few moments ago, and he was very honest. You're not answering. It seems like you're not listening. Job, as you study throughout the 42 chapters of his book, later in his writings, later in his life, he confesses his concerns and his doubts with the Lord. He was very honest with him, and God never rebukes us for being honest with him. Secondly, when I don't feel like worshiping, I need to remember that Jesus is not afraid of my questions. He's not scared of them. You see, in some religious context, it's not acceptable to ask why. You can't ask why. But Jesus, we see, he's never afraid of questions. When you read the book of Psalms, a lot of the Psalms start with this word, why? Why? And when you read the New Testament and the life of Jesus, you see people that come to him all the time with questions. And he doesn't tell them, don't ask. He receives their questions. Now, in full disclosure, sometimes Jesus just chooses not to answer. Sometimes Jesus gives them the answer that they didn't want. Sometimes Jesus responds with a question for the one who questioned him. And there's those other times when the question of why is not going to be answered on this side of heaven. And instead of getting our answer now, we have to trust our whys to Jesus until we get to heaven and we have full understanding and full comprehension. Something else to remember when I don't feel like worshiping is that it's okay to be confused. Life is confusing. It's hard. It's difficult. And the things that happen don't always make sense. There is bad and there is sad in this world and it makes it tough to understand God's plans and God's ways. But Isaiah chapter 55, God says these words, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And my ways are far beyond anything that you can imagine. So when I can't figure out why it makes sense, I have to trust that he's got a plan and that he's got a purpose. And even though I don't understand it or figure it out or can reconcile it in my mind now, he says, just as the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. 
Hebrews chapter 2, in the midst of our confusion, invites us to trust and to worship God. It says we're receiving a kingdom that is unshakable. Though we live in a world that can and is and will be shaken, we're receiving a kingdom that's unshakable. So let us please God and be thankful by worshiping Him with holy fear and with awe. In the midst of my confusion, in the midst of my questions, I choose to worship God. Why? Because worshiping through my confusion changes my feelings. When I worship God in the midst of my confusion, it causes me to focus on His character and His goodness, not my problem. And I trust Him because as I worship Him, I remember who He is. The next thought when I don't feel like worshiping is that Jesus understands my humanity. He came and He lived among us. He has experienced the same kind of pain and problems and doubt and worry as I have. And He knows what I'm going through, and he's not a cosmically disconnected observer. He's not just watching it all happen in the sky. He's intimately connected to my circumstance and situation. Hebrews chapter four tells us this, we have a great high priest who has entered heaven. His name is Jesus, he's the son of God. So let us hold firmly to what we believe because the high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses. Why? Because he faced all the same testings that we did, yet he didn't sin. He understands what it's like to go through the things that we go through. When I don't feel like worshiping, I have to remember that God's inactivity doesn't indicate God's inability. In other words, just because he didn't doesn't mean he can't. It just means he's doing something different. His thoughts are not like my thoughts. And when I say, you should have been here and you should have done it this way, it doesn't mean that he can't do it. It means that he's choosing to do it a different way. And Job, when he was in the midst of his trial in chapter 13, he said these words, though he slay me, I'll hope in him. Even though he's not moving in the way I think he should, even though he's not doing what I want him to do, even if he kills me, I'm gonna trust him. When I don't feel like worshiping, I have to remember that the righteous live by faith. If you've grown up or been around church for a long time or read your Bible a lot, you've heard that verse more and more often probably. The righteous live by faith, but faith by its very nature says, it doesn't have to make sense, I'll still believe. Faith at its core says, I choose to believe even when I can't see. And Habakkuk, in the second chapter of his writing, he said these words, look at the proud. The proud people, they trust in themselves, and as a result, their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live, how? By their faithfulness to God. Even though he didn't do it, even though he could have, but he chose not to, I'm still gonna be faithful. I'm still gonna believe. I'm still gonna trust. When I don't feel like worshiping, I have to remember that Jesus is praying for me. And that's a pretty powerful thought. Because we've all been through those times when it gets tough and we need somebody to pray for us. And we've got those people that we know, I need that person to pray for me. I need that person's prayers in my life because what I'm going through is difficult. But we also know, scripture tells us that as powerful as these earthly prayers are, that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he's interceding for us. In fact, Romans chapter eight, verse 34 says, 
Christ Jesus. Who's to condemn us? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And more than that, he was raised from the dead. And more than that, he's at the right hand of God and he is interceding for us. When it doesn't make sense and we feel alone and forsaken and it's not fair, Jesus is interceding and he's praying that we would make it through. Hebrews 7.25 says he's able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. Why? Because he lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. So this morning I can, I can worship him finally because I'm not destroyed. I want to show you this entire list in case you want a photo of it. I, I can be honest with God when I don't feel like worshiping. He's not afraid of my questions. It's okay for me to be confused. He understands what it's like to be me and endure the things I'm going through. And just because he's, he's not moving the way I thought he could or should doesn't mean he's unable to move. Faith matters. And if I'm going to be a righteous person, I live by faith even when it doesn't make sense. When I don't feel like worshiping, I trust that Jesus is praying for me in that moment. But finally, when I don't feel like worshiping, I have to remember I'm not destroyed. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll close with this verse. Paul writes these words. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but we're never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. And the reason that we're not crushed, the reason that we don't despair, the reason that we're not abandoned, the reason that we're not destroyed is because He never leaves us. He's with us through it all. And rather than turning away and not worshiping and pushing away from Him, He's inviting us to trust him and to worship him even when it doesn't make sense. I want to ask you to bow your head this morning because you can worship him even when you feel alone. You can worship him when you feel forgotten and forsaken. You can worship him when it's not fair and it doesn't make sense. One of the main ways you can do it is by trusting him, by making that decision. I'm still going to trust in the midst of my storm and in the midst of my struggle. But that trust is a powerful word, isn't it? It's indicative of our relationship with the Lord. Do I trust him with my whole life, with my good times and with my bad times? Do I trust him when everything seems right? And do I trust him when everything seems to be falling apart? That starts with saying yes to Jesus and accepting, receiving him as the Lord and Savior of your life. If you've never done that, this morning's a great opportunity for you to trust Jesus with your whole life. And maybe you've done that at some point, but then maybe like Job or like Elijah or like Mary and Martha or like Habakkuk, situations have come and rather than drawing near to God, you've walked away. Today's a good morning to walk right back to where he is because he hasn't moved. He's the same, he's unchanging. So today I won't embarrass you, I just wanna pray with you if today you're saying, I trust Jesus, I want to say yes to him, whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, and you're just making things right, you're rededicating and recommitting yourself to him, would you just simply slip up a hand and say, please pray for me, I'm saying yes to Jesus. Thank you for those hands. Thank you for those who have raised hands. If you're watching online, would you just write the word yes in your text box? 
let us know about the decision that you're making to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says if we confess uh, with our mouths and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. When you lifted your hand, you said, I believe. And now there's that prayer of confession that follows. So I want to invite all of us, whether you're watching online or you're here in the room with us, would you pray this prayer, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. I'm sorry that I've sinned and lived a life that was not pleasing to you. Today I receive you as my Savior and Lord. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and make me more like you. And I will do my best to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for those who were courageous and who lifted your hands. There's a number on the screen. We'd love for you to text us and let us know what God is doing in your life. I want to invite everybody, if you would stand, if you're able. I think it would be so appropriate if we took just a moment here at the end. and We just confessed our trust. Maybe you're in the midst of one of those situations right now. Why don't you tell the Lord you trust him? Maybe you've seen a friend or a loved one walk through that. Maybe you've been there. Why don't we confess once again that we trust him? You might want to lift your hands. That's what I'm going to do, but you don't have to. You might want to lift your voice. You might want to just be reverent in his presence. You might want to just whisper out a prayer, but would you just begin to tell him, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. You're God of my good times and you're God of my bad times. You're God when it's easy and it's fun and you're God when it's painful and it hurts. You're a God of abundance and you're still God when I have nothing. You're the God when I'm celebrating and rejoicing and you're God when I'm grieving and mourning. And through all these circumstances and situations, I trust you. I trust you. Come on, tell him that. Make it your prayer, not mine this morning. I trust you. I trust you with my whole life. Man, what a challenging message this morning from Pastor Jason. But honestly, it's so needed, and it's a great reminder for us. So this week, if you're going through a hard season, I just want to encourage you, continue to press into God's presence. Let him be your foundation, and don't do it on your own because he has greater things that are yet to come. Amen? Amen. Hey, just a few things before we go today. If you wouldn't mind grabbing your communion cups and dropping them in the buckets in the back on your way out, uh, this way we can just help keep God's house clean and taken care of. Amen? It's a great thing. In addition to that, one last thing. We are meeting here tonight for our youth service from 5.30 to 7.30. We want to reach the least, last, and lost of our 6th through 12th graders. Thanks, leaders. Clapping your hands right now. Be like, yes, yes. So we would love to see all of your kids come out, hang out. We're going to have an amazing time, but we just want to show Christ to each and every one of them. But as we leave today, we just want to pray a prayer of blessing over us all. So if you'll raise your hands towards heaven. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. Go with God today.